Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome, and thank you for being here to welcome back Michael Molina, our head of school from the Bishop John T. Walker School. Uh, St. John's has been such a stalwart and steady friend to the school since we opened our doors back in 2008. My name is Andrew Clark. I serve on the board of the Bishop Walker School, along with other members of this parish, with Wandy Johnson, with Desiree Stolar, with Kay Boozer, who's on our advisory, and, uh, and a host of other wonderful supporters at, at, at this church. Some of you may have gotten an email a couple of weeks ago uh, telling us of the sad departure Mike is leaving us in at the end of the school year, um, which was sad news for all of us. But as a school, we all recognize that family does indeed come first and it's the most important thing. Um, and so we support Mike in, I think, a very difficult decision for him to, to leave our, our community. Mike also leaves the school in the best place it has ever been, in my opinion. Um, Mike, during a time of COVID, just to give you a flavor of his leadership, during COVID, Mike led, led us through accreditation in a year, one year during COVID, almost unheard of. Also uh, established a strategic plan, met um, really ambitious fundraising goals, and built a really strong uh, school spirit, and, uh, and left us in a place where now we can really build off of what he established while he was with us. So I'm just gonna hand you over to Mike um, to give you an update on where we are and uh, his thoughts this morning. So thank you all for being with us and thanks St. John's Church for all of your support at the school. Thank you, Andrew, and uh, God did all of that. With God's work. God loves the Bishop Walker School, that is for sure. Uh, my name is Michael Molina, and um, we are family. So this is, this is like home because St. John's is a cornerstone that has supported the Bishop Walker School from its inception, and that extends into our current board membership, our board leadership. Andrew is our board chair. Um, Hillary West, whose uh, father uh, is, is the namesake of the space that we're in is on our is a co-chair of our annual dinner committee this year um, there's so many interconnections we're like a mycelia of good uh, if you count all of the ways the relationships in this parish undergird what we do at the bishop walker school uh, good people good people coming together for a good good uh, vision good mission recently uh, I, I was i traveled to santa fe new mexico uh, to go to a leadership conference and on the way back I had this weird mix-up with, with, uh, with flights. I know all of you have probably experienced that recently. And I had, we had to fly from Santa Fe to Phoenix West before coming back east and the trajectory took us right over the Grand Canyon. I'd never seen the Grand Canyon, had missed the opportunity to see it when uh, COVID robbed us of my 40th birthday trip. Our family was going to go and we had to cancel it. Um, but flying over the Grand Canyon was the best possible way for me to see it because you realize it's not one thing. It's not this big chasm in the middle of the earth. It's actually this cascade of land slowly falling, falling it down into this hole, which is actually, if you think about negative space, this big rise of land. And so I'm, I'm, I'm twisted in this kind of analogy, this metaphor, just like face against the window like a 
toddler cannot believe what I'm seeing, trying to take pictures. The pictures cannot capture what I'm seeing, so I just put the phone down. Lady next to me asking me to take pictures. I, I took pictures for her, and then I said, I don't think, I don't think they're going to turn out. They're just, it's just too big. But this cascade of land is like a metaphor for it, for me, for good, in the way it represents this kind of splashing of moments of, of positive effort or, or splashing of moments of contribution that pours into the next, into the next, into the next to form something so massive that we can't even perceive it with our own eyes. It's much, much bigger than any of us is or, or can even imagine or conceive of. And that's the Grand Canyon that I imagined. And had we gone to one spot in it, I wouldn't have been able to see it. But flying over it, you can see the whole thing. It's just magnificent glory. Um, and it's a good way to kind of capture what, um, and I'm sorry, did I, was I supposed to press record? It's on. It's on, okay, all right. I just noticed it. It's a wonderful way to think about a school year and a school life. So I'll give you a little bit of an update about how this year has started, the cascade of, of good and, and positive energy that has just flowed over this school year. Um, and it was necessary because it was pushed that the wave of energy that, that triggered this cascade was the challenge and the trouble of COVID. So last time I was here, uh, we were dealing with some challenges. Uh, we were in the midst of the kind of crystallization of all the trouble that, that the pandemic had brought, which always trouble falls heavily on the children, children and the elders, but children. Um, and in our school, our third grade really represented that challenge uh, in, a, in an intense way. We had third graders, and if you don't, if you didn't know, third grade is the year when students go from learning to read to reading to learn. So if you aren't a strong reader, you're not going to get math because you start getting word problems. You're not going to get science because everything is in paragraph form. You're not going to get ELA, obviously. And then you start to doubt whether you can be a strong student or believe that you are a strong student in third grade. It's also the year when children begin to um, um, formulate their identity outside of their parents. They start looking at the peers. And they get real competitive, who's faster, who's stronger, who's taller, who can jump higher, who can catch better, who can read better, who can do math more quickly. And so it triggered a whole lot of emotional strife on the part of the children because none of them were reading as they should, and they knew it. And then all the other grades suffered. So we were dealing with a lot of emotional upheaval in the third grade. And it was tough. It was tough. But we responded by hiring three new learning specialists. We, brought in a dean of students, brought in a wonderful new chaplain who uh, is of Southeast DC as the rector of uh, uh, um, oof, Atonement Church and uh, the Aton uh, Church of the Holy Atonement in Southeast DC, who's also a military vet and from Brooklyn and has got the energy to really connect with the boys. Um, we reintroduced before care and after care because we recognized that we needed more time in order to get them ready for school days and be able to process whatever it is they brought into the building or whatever it is they brought from recess back into the building and have more time with them. So we did all those things in order to respond, mainly the third grade, and it ended up benefiting everyone else as things typically do. Last year also our enrollment took a, took a hit. We had families, due to all the instability of the pandemic, move deeper into Maryland, move all, we lost two families to Baltimore. 
Um, and we had families who just could not make the truck to school because they were moving from house to house to house. So our enrollment dropped to 72 students. Um, so we kicked up our admissions process and did a lot of work in Southeast DC, but even beyond, got on the radio, got on the buses, uh, had, had bus billboards and all kinds of things. And we had a about a 30 student net gain this year. So if you include our new kindergartners and all the other students that we brought in to replace those families that we lost, um, there was a, a pretty big jump this year. Um, and then we were, we were on the heels uh, over at, the, at the outset of preparing for uh, the transition from who you may have encountered before our uh, development director, David Shepard. Uh, and that, that's a challenge. He, was, he had a successful tenure and helped to establish the school's financial stability and bring in new donors. Um, and we responded uh, by bringing your very own Stephen Crochet, uh, who's a member here at St. John's Lafayette with his family and has already, in four months' time, ingratiated himself in the community, uh, made relationships with boys, with donors. We've had some, some wonderful gifts come in. Uh, through some efforts that, that he spearheaded, um, and he's done a wonderful job, and he is of your own parish. And so that was a wonderful blessing that came from, born out of the, the challenge of, of figuring out how to move forward. Um, so this cascade of good continued this year. That was the challenge that pushed the energy forward into this year. And so I'm gonna list out some things that happened this year, and I'll, I'll just talk events. Um, that kind of crystallize the, the momentum that we've been building. Um, so at Church of the Holy Atonement, we had our first ever convocation. Uh, it was a beautiful moment of uh, joining in with the Southeast DC community. All our boys went into this small parish and they participated, led by Reverend Shepherd in, in a convocation, the first ever at Bishop Walker School. And we brought so much life into what is an aging parish, which is an historically black uh, congregation. Uh, many of which, from my understanding, need some energy. And we brought that energy in. The boys responded well to the elders. The elders were uplifted by them. It was a beautiful way to start the school year. Uh, we also had our first uh, venture out to the cathedral for the service of evening prayer as an entire school. Uh, and I got to see in our kindergartner's eyes, probably what my, my eyes looked like looking at the Grand Canyon, when we came out of the, the bus uh, parking lot and they saw the majesty of this building I mean, their eyes were just like big saucers I mean they just could not believe and could not take in what they were seeing and just to have them have that experience and then walk into that you know temple of, of glory and then feel like this is for us this is ours we're part of this uh, it was really beautiful uh, we hosted the Mid-Atlantic Mid Episcopal Schools Association membership meeting and it was as boring as it sounds but it was very exciting in, a, in another way, because it was the Bishop Walker School taking the mantle as part of this deal. We are an Episcopal school just like they are. We may not have you know, acres and acres of land, but we have the ARC, 14 different nonprofits committed to good that serve our boys. Our boys are known and loved by all of the adults on that facility. When we walk over to Boys and Girls Club for aftercare until 7 p.m., there are smiles and waves and rubbernecking on the road. Who are those boys? It's a lot of love. When they move over there for PE, when we bring them over there for movement classes at the Washington School of Ballet or downstairs for art classes at the Phillips Art Collection, it's love the whole way. It's a village. It's a real village. And so we got to show 
some of these highfalutin schools um, that we are, we have something beautiful going on here as well. So we kind of walked into that mantle of Episcopal schools. Um, we celebrated James Woody, who many of you may have uh, experienced, who is the founding executive director of the Bishop Walker School. The, the campus is now named after him. We are the James Woody Campus. Um, and it was a great way to honor the legacy of leadership that got the school off the ground. There's been so many, so many wonderful people who uh, con contributed blood, sweat, tears, love, faith, hope uh, into the, the physical building and space, but also uh, the uh, mission and vision of the school. Uh, and then probably most, most exciting, uh, we had our first ever alumni weekend. So it's strange that an elementary school would have an alumni association, but we do. Uh, and for the first time, and starting actually in the spring prior, we welcomed the first graduating class, the first junior kindergartners who went to Bishop Walker School were now graduating high school. And so we asked them to come back and touch base before going off in the young manhood. And they came back. We had uh, a young guy who got in, got $1.8 million in scholarships and, and, and uh, went to how I was going to Morehouse on a full scholarship, uh, which is rare. HBCUs do not have the kind of resources to get full scholarships all the time. Um, and a wonderful Desiree Stolar is in touch with him and, and coaching him into his leadership with regular conversations. So we're beginning a new phase in the life of the school to figure out how do we walk graduates into young manhood and into college and into professional life. Um, so it's a new, uh, new leg of the race. Um, and to have them come back an alumni weekend, it was beautiful. Stephen, Stephen and I were there tearing up. And even though we didn't know these boys, they, they were long before our tenure, we were both just like couldn't believe these massive or tiny, still young guys coming back. And it was from sixth grade all the way to freshman in college. Uh, so we had a question for him, what did Bishop Walker School give to you? And there was a refrain, a common answer was, uh, uh, they taught me how to be social. They taught me how to be social. And I, in my mind, I'm like, I, what do you mean by that? I, you know, I'm just waiting for someone to clarify for me, because I mean, it's, I mean, you know how to party, you know how to like, hang out, you know how to make friends, like what does this mean? And finally, the, one, of, one of the guys came in late, and he hadn't heard all the other boys answer. Um, and this youngster comes in, he's giant, he's like six foot six, he's a shot putter. Um, you know, that's, what he, that's his sport, as well as a great, doing great in academics. Uh, we, had, we have a guy who's going out to New Zealand to play rugby for five months. He started rugby at Bishop Walker School. We had a guy who's an opera singer at uh, 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 Duke Ellington School of the Arts. He started singing at Bishop Walker School. We have a track star, uh, Maryland, and all kinds of different iterations of, of ambitious young, young boys. But this, this young man comes in and he says the same thing. He says, I learned how to be social. Uh, and he said, I, I learned how to look for good people. I, I know that there are good people everywhere, and I look for good people, and I associate myself with them. And I realized, I said, yeah, that's, that's what it is. They learn that there are good people of all types. Lunch buddies, if any of you have been a lunch buddy, you come into school and you spend uh, a, a day a month and just hang out, go to recess. So they've seen what good looks like in all of its forms and all its races and all its genders and all of its expression. And they believe there's good in the world and they look for those people and associate themselves with those people. What a beautiful gift to leave a child for the rest of their lives to know that there's good out there and to know I can associate myself with that. And if I teach, if I, if I am good to those people, and they are good to me, and we can be good together, we can make good in the world. That's what they believe. 
And the brotherhood they felt and the inspiration, the ambition they felt was rooted in that goodness. And uh, speaking of goodness, we have, I want to just honor two, uh, two uh, other kind of splashes of this cascade uh, of goodness. Uh, we are going to get it, we're getting a new altar. Uh, uh, Reverend Joe Clark carved a wonderful altar for St. Albans Lower School. And he came for a visit and he said, would you all like the same altar? And we said, we would. <laughs> and so he carved this beautiful cherry wood altar and brought it over to us. And this Friday, the bishop will come down and consecrate it along with all of the chaplains who had ever served at the Bishop Walker School and, and board members and others. And so we'll consecrate this kind of centerpiece of the Episcopal identity at the school for the, for the rest of its life. Um, and so uh, that's another splash of good. And then we're honoring Chris and Lisa Smith at the annual dinner. So Chris and Lisa Smith are the family that founded the ARC, Town Hall Education, uh, Arts and Recreation Center. This is this conglomerate of 14 different nonprofits that we we get our, we serve three meals a day from DC Central Kitchen, which is housed right there. This is, this is an organization that fights food insecurity. We get movement classes from Washington Ballet. We get uh, music classes from Levine School of Music. The boys go down and do high level artwork in a beautiful art making space, Phillips Art Collection. Uh, boys can stay until 7 p.m. aftercare at the Boys and Girls Club, all because we are in this village of, this hub of hope. As, as Rasan Bernard, the executive director, calls it. Um, and so we're going to honor Lisa, Chris and Lisa Smith, not the least uh, for, for uh, many reasons, but we are also poised after a successful campaign called Securing Their Future uh, to prepay rent to stay at the ARC for the next 25 years. And um, January will see us, uh, we're, it's a big business transaction. So we, Andrew and I have been, been talking to lawyers um, who are, Great people, but can be a little bit uh, confrontational, argumentative. Uh, but they're working it out. They're getting, they're getting along, and we're hopeful that we can uh, complete that deal, and we'll be at the ARC for the, until 2047. Um, so that's a beautiful step in the life of the school. And so we're going to celebrate that and also honor Lisa and Chris Smith at the annual dinner. So hopefully you will come and tell people to come. and It'll be the best ever. We'll be honoring the alumni as well and figuring out how to tell the story, the legacy of the school, so everyone can feel uplifted and, and know that the investment has paid off. Um, so just to close and then open up for questions, I just got back on Friday from the National Association of Episcopal Schools Conference in San Antonio, and there was a mini gathering of what's called the Episcopal Urban Schools Alliance. And so there are eight schools in the United States, similar to ours, that are either tuition free or have very low tuition and serve uh, mission style um, uh, for the benefit of, of young people. And so I'll mention three of them. Uh, one is the Epiphany Schools. This is in uh, uh, Dorchester, Massachusetts. A wonderful um, uh, clergyman, uh, John Finley, uh, has invested his own uh, fortune and, and uh, his life really into the school. He's 25 years old. They do prenatal to uh, Pre-K and, and they have middle school and they're starting to slowly to close the gap. Um, they do all kinds of amazing work. You can you can look them up. Uh, Church Farm School is is probably the seed of them all, uh, which is a school out in Pennsylvania, Exton, Pennsylvania. Uh, it's a high school day and boarding. 
very, very low tuition. They have a very you know, healthy endowment, and so they're able to, to do that. Um, there are found some of our founders, Preston and Sandy Hannibal, uh, were also on the board of church school on the founding board of Epiphany. So we have, with those, with the Hannibals, we have kind of this traveling root of all these great, wonderful schools. And then there's the Imago Day School in Tucson, Arizona, which is the fifth through eighth grade. And so we all got together and we trade, traded uh, energy and positive positive spirit, and, and, and we had a real core reason to be together. Uh, uh, Chip Sherrill, who, who's, who's partner to Andrew, has gotten us a wonderful uh, opportunity to build a student information system from scratch that serves our needs. You know, all of, of our schools have all of these partnerships that we have to figure out how to relate to and share data with. We all have the, the challenge of, of telling our stories of, of impact in ways that can invite investment and we need to collect and analyze and organize and disseminate data about the successes that we've had so that we can invest, we can invite that investment. We all have that similar challenge and one thing that we've all figured out is we, we use all of these different data sources and all these different platforms and, and uh, uh, PwC is gonna help us kind of organize all that in a way that's gonna make it more simple to tell our story, more simple to measure our impact. Um, and so we were meeting to talk about that opportunity. Um, and, and we went out to dinner and, and all uh, bonded and connected. And what I was clear about is that the Bishop Walker School is, is DC's contribution to that cascade of good. They're doing it in Dorchester and Exton, Tucson, but the Bishop Walker School is doing it here. And mainly because of you and good people like you who've invested in this. And so as we continue this work, and we know things will change, there's always change. Um, the thing that will anchor us is the faith in the fact that if we invest in the children, we'll get this payout of wonderful, beautiful human beings who feel a, a sense of commitment to good, who can recognize good, and who will associate themselves with it because they were raised in that good. Um, and I'll leave you with our, our character education program, uh, which forms an acronym, KINGS. Knowledgeable, independent, noble, generous servant leaders. This is who we're raising these boys to be. Knowledgeable, meaning that they have the capacity to learn from anyone, anywhere, at any time. Knowledge, able, right? Not that just you have content, but you know how to learn. That they're independent, that they are not swayed by the peer pressure, not swayed by the world. They stand in who they are no matter what the pressures are. That they're noble, that they're good no matter who's looking or not looking that they are generous with their time, their talent, their treasure when they amass it, and that they are servant leaders, which is the most important, that they tie themselves to something greater than themselves. You can be ambitious, you can go, I tell them all the time, you wanna be a billionaire, go be a billionaire. Please go be a billionaire. But know that it's for a greater cause than your own ego, your own whatever. It's gotta be rooted in something greater than yourself. Um, and all of that in the name of our namesake, the bishop, Bishop John Walker, who we believe exhibited those qualities and brought them into the flesh and, and did great things in his lifetime, and we are his legacy. And so as we continue this cascade of good, we will remember we're always, all the good that we do has been pushed forward by the good of the folks before us, and whatever our little splash of investment is at the time of our living, we know that it'll live on and go on into what's next. Thank you.
questions. Also, I um, want to invite everybody after the 11 o'clock service. Um, the Friends of Bishop Walker are hosting lunch here, so please come back and join us. Um, and also, just to say, Hillary, um, who has just who, who agreed next year to be our co-chair for the annual dinner, so she'll be making sure that you all get your tickets to the annual dinner on March 2nd. Um, and, and Stephen will also be here to talk to us. Uh, Stephen has been a true blessing, as, as Mike said, to us, a family who's been here for a very long time at St. John's. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I couldn't be happier to see so many people from the St. John's community being involved with the school. So Stephen will be here to answer questions as well uh, during the lunch. But then, any questions for Mike? Well, people think, I will actually ask when I apologize, it's a couple minutes late, but can you speak a little bit about the teachers you have, which I think is another, you know, super important part of the school and, um, you know, sort of how many, who they are, and is there a need, or where do you find your greatest need right now, given all the wonderful things? Well, thank you for that. Um, there is no school without teachers. We administrators serve the teachers. The teachers serve the children. And Stephen and I walk around and we can we can give pounds and handshakes and every now and then step in if, a, if there's a you know an issue that we can handle in the hallway. But on a daily basis the teachers are wholly invested in these children. So they are the heart and soul of the school. And um, so we've been blessed. We have uh, six lead teachers and uh, five we're still looking for a teaching resident for kindergarten, but five uh, teaching residents. And so we started a program called the Teaching Residency for Equity and Engagement. And I mentioned this at the EUAC, EUSA meeting, and a lot of ears went up because the difficult thing now is retention and convincing teachers that their investment of their soul force is valued. Um, and so it's always a challenge to figure out with limited resources how to pay on, on scale with a a charter school pay uh, table, which is which is typically you know what we're competing with, um, but we are able to make the difference by having small class sizes. We cap our class sizes at 16, which appeals to teachers who really want to teach and who love teaching and aren't going to get weighed down by having way more children than they can manage or having you know onerous red tape or you know testing mandates that they have to um, you know get get evaluated on. We evaluate. You know, are, are the children known and loved? Are they growing at the pace that they need to grow in order to, to, to be knowledgeable, knowledge able with us and as they move on? You know, um, are you engaged with the family? Or do you know their parents? Are you in communication with their parents? Right, that's how we evaluate teachers. And, um, and that, you know, that makes for a certain type of teacher who likes that environment. So we have a wonderful teaching group. We have, I'll just talk about two guys that Stephen uh, loves to talk about. We have two African-American men teachers in fourth and fifth grade, which is rare. Very, very rare in elementary school. Um, they're very different, extremely different personalities. They show up physically as different. Um, and yet, when the boys get to that point, fourth and fifth grade, they are prepared and ready for the world. And seeing these two, men who represent, who look like them, and who've accomplished various different things. Fifth grade teacher is a former professional soccer player. Fourth grade teacher is a former journalist. Um, and they, they trade off. So our fifth grade teacher teaches math and science to fourth grade. And our fourth grade lead teacher teaches ELA to fifth grade. So they are um, you know, constantly um, you know, 
surrounded by these, these models and mentors. Um, and, uh, and we have learning specialists and you know, dean of students. And so the, the, the main challenge is always retention. So we built this program in order to kind of coach up early career teachers to be with us and you know, fall in love with, with the culture and, and stay with us. And uh, we give them leadership opportunities uh, to, to help them feel like they can grow with us. But uh, you know, there, there's, a, there's a dearth of teachers and there's a, a tendency and, and now for teachers to leave the profession. So we're, we're aware of that and we, we try to rally resources to keep them with us. Yeah, yes. Could you say something about your work with the families yes. of the students? Yes, so we, uh, we don't charge any tuition, obviously. Um, we don't have any selective admissions process. What we do require, though, is a parent partnership. We have a parent covenant that requires parents to, to volunteer hours. But that's, that's really uh, a very small portion of what we mean by parent partnership. What we mean is, do you understand the value proposition here? enough to make sure your child is here on time, ready to receive. Um, and that takes a lot. And you, your parent can always control how a child wakes up in the morning, but you can control when they go to bed. And you can control if they are in a certain mindset ready to receive. So we expect our parents to live up to that. You know, I, I, I had, we had a recent town hall with parents and I, I said, uh, we have been having some issue with tardiness in, in, in certain segments of our, our parent community. And so, you know, I, I, I talked for a while and I know that when you, when you uh, not admonish, but when you have to kind of work on a small group of people, uh, you do it, you know, behind the scenes, but then you also bring the lesson to everyone, even those who are doing what you expect. And so what I said was, I, you know, not everybody needs to hear this, but if I were to actually calculate the investment of two teachers in each classroom, eight to one student teacher ratio, three learning specialists, dean students, counselor, all, on and on and on. It's about $48,000 per student, which is 3,000 less than the most expensive school in uh, lower school in DC, the field school, which is about 51,000. So every single day your child is getting about $265 worth of just investment and all that three meals a day and all that stuff. And if you, they don't show up, you're taking that away from your child. And I said, I know that everybody doesn't need this. The main thing is that we love your children. We know your children. But if you need it in dollars and cents, there it is. And so we, we work to make sure that our families understand the value of the, of the investment of time and energy of, of all the donors, but also of all the people who work to serve the children most immediately so that we can have a, a fruitful parent partnership. Um, so, so what that means in terms of parents, although, also, is we have a family engagement team that uh, is very aware of what's going on in, in families. So when we have issues with tardiness, more times than not, there's a circumstance at home that needs some, needs some TLC, whether that's transportation, whether that's some upheaval. Um, and we're aware of that. And we do everything we can to rally resources to help families in those circumstances. Uh, but, but again, this is not a one-way street. It has to be a partnership. And uh, most of our families, I would say, you know, all of our families understand it. And then, and then some families need reminders. But for the most part, we are partners in, in raising these young, young boys to their, you know, the best of their, they can reach the best of their uh, aspirations. Yes. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. Um, the alumni initiative is really exciting. 
And I wonder if you could articulate for us some of the opportunities in yeah. that initiative and yeah. maybe a couple of the biggest challenges it's facing right now. Absolutely. Thank you, Karen. So the Alumni Association is a part of, like a, a first part of the implementation of our strategic plan. We, we, we charged ourselves with self-study, uh, understanding our constituency. One of the things that we learned in that process is that, you know, boys continue, I mean, this is not something we had to learn, but boys continue to need a lot of help. You know, a lot can happen between fifth grade and 12th grade. So we're learning specifically, though, what that help is. Right? They need help with executive functioning like all boys and many of us adults need, how to organize time, how to you know, prioritize tasks. Um, they need help with um, you know, navigating admittance into high school because we, we drop them off in elementary school but there's an entirely different admissions process for high school. They may need um, you know, help for the standardized testing that is required to get into uh, high school. Um, they may need SAT prep. They may need money for college visits. They may need college counseling. They may need testing, uh, psychosocial testing to see if there might be a learning difference there that can be diagnosed and the, you know, they get extra time, right, if they need it, time and a half on certain standardized tests that can follow them all, all the way through the LSAT. I, I learned that when I was teaching high schools that there are people who get time and a half on the LSAT because they got psychosocial testing when they were in middle school, right, but that's expensive. And so we're, we're learning from the alumni what they might need. And so we have, in our strategic plan, we've broken down, you know this, Carrie, because you're going to help us do it. We're, uh, we, we've broken down into two tasks, our kind of size, scope, and sustainability, where we're headed. One is endowment. We have, to, we have to get off the hamster wheel, as Stephen calls it, of fundraising, right? So one is endowment, but the other is continuity of care post fifth grade. Um, there are great models out there. Uh, you know, the school was aspiring to building a middle school, but what we've found in, over the years is that actually, for admissions purposes, it's pretty good to stop at fifth grade because admissions is a lot less competitive in some of the schools that are like eight through, uh, or six through 12 at the sixth grade point than it would be at the ninth grade point, so it's actually a sweet spot. So rather than trying to replicate what are already good middle school programs out there, can we create something uh, of a model for continuity of care that follows the boys and helps to meet their needs as they matriculate. Um, and those two things are combined. In order to have the resources for that, we're going to need endowment. And in order to have the time to commit and, and energy to commit to that, we're going to need to get off the hamster wheel of year annual fundraising. And it's all connected. But that's, that's a critical part of, I think, the future of the school. And having the boys come back, the alumni come back, and to see them. And if you come to the annual, annual dinner and you see them, it's so uplifting that to encounter, you know, what what they have become, um, even still as as boys, uh, once they leave us. So it's a critical, and the challenge I think is 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 resources. The challenge is resources, making sure that we. Brian Harris, who's our director of outplacement and graduate support, is an amazing human being. He made the calls, the emails, and knocked on doors to get people to come, and and gather all all the alumni names and and energies and bring them back to us. Uh, but he's one person, right? And if every year we build a program of continuity of care, at some point it's going to be hundreds of boys. One person can't, can't do that by themselves, right? So the challenge is going to be, you know, generating the resources to continue to commit and master this K through five that we've built, um, but then also learn and grow in how we serve boys from six to six to grade 
14, right, in college. Yes? As a veteran of faith-based organization, how does that affect your ability to, to raise funds in, in a secular world? And if you could speak just generally to the challenges you have in, in fundraising. Yes. So uh, Episcopalians are very generous. I've, I've learned. I grew up Catholic, by the way, and um, I, I, you know, we're family too. Because I, I, first time I went to an Episcopal service, I was like, "This is mass." Like I just, <laughs> you know, it's just a little more open-minded. So, but um, the 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 generosity has always been an anchor. Folks are committed. Folks give every year, give very generously. Stephen was shocked. He was just, when his stuff just dropping in the lab. He was like, what is going on? Um, so, so that's, that's wonderful. However, the, the challenge is we cannot access federal money a lot of times. We do get money that follows the boys if they're Title I eligible, which is for low-income families. Uh, we, we do have access to services that follow children. We get access to uh, the Opportunity Scholarship Program, which is a voucher program for DC resident students. Um, but that only, that only pays a quarter of, of what it costs to serve each, each boy. Um, when it comes to, there, there are big foundations out there that love, that would love to support us. In fact, we've welcomed some of them uh, to campus and they're like, oh, we, we can't, uh, we'd love to. Uh, and so there are models out there of how to do this. Uh, Andrew always talks about the Monumental Scholars Program, which our sister school on the art campus is Washington School for Girls. It's a Catholic tuition-free school, fourth through eighth grade for girls. A lot of our siblings go there. Um, and they have this secondary program. It's called the Monumental Scholars Program. It's not affiliated with the Catholic Church that allows them to rally resources to follow the children. Um, and allows people to give and not feel like they're giving to the Catholic Church. Uh, we're not there yet, but that we do have a, you know, when we talk about endowment and, and the strategic plan, there's going to have to be some instrument that is able to hold that, that may make space um, for that type of thing. Because we are, we are not separate from the Episcopal Diocese of, of Washington. Uh, every dollar that comes to us goes to, to the Diocese of Washington, and we get tremendous benefit from that. I mean. HR, I could go down the line on all the concrete benefit we get from that, not the least of which is being affiliated with, you know, the spiritual mission of, of the diocese. Um, but there, there are folks who will not and cannot give, uh, you know, because of that. So we do have to be uh, resourceful and, and uh, imaginative in, in terms of instruments to hold resources moving forward. Do most of your boys have to go to public school in the district after they leave here? No, most of them go to independent schools. So, um, you know, immediately in middle school, about 90%, last year 90% went into independent schools. And so that's the range of, you know. Uh, charters? Uh, some charters, some charters, Statesman Charter School, which is our, our, one of our board members is the board chair over there. So we have a number of boys at Statesman Charter School, but we also have boys at St. Stephen's, St. Agnes. We have boys at St. Andrews, St. Patrick's. Um, we have boys at uh, Milton Hershey, which is a boarding school in Pennsylvania. We have three boys at Cardigan Mountain School in New Hampshire. Uh, we have boys at Washington Episcopal, Washington Jesuit. Um, you know, our young guy who got the uh, full ride to Morehouse was our first to get into St. Albans, um, but he actually decided not, his mother decided not to send him to St. Albans and he went to public schools, graduated from Baloo, 
but because of the foundation he got at the Bishop Walker School, was top of the class there and got access to all of these millions of dollars, million plus dollar of scholarship money. So we, Brian Harris, who I mentioned before, he'll be the MC at the event, by the way, and he's, you know, he's a big personality. Just, uh, well, he's gonna be great. Uh, he starts working with the boys in third grade and then in earnest in fourth grade and then finally in fifth grade as they start to start actually going to visit middle schools, they take a lot of, he takes a lot of time with parents to identify the perfect landing spot for them. So for some boys that might be statesmen, uh, and for others it might be St. Stephen, St. Agnes. Um, and so it's a very specific and, and uh, focused uh, process of placing them in the best place for them. And it's on, it's on scholarship. Yeah, yeah uh, so definitely. Um, but that's that's one of those long-term kind of challenges that we'll face. Like as we start to develop this continuity of care program from sixth grade on, one of the challenges that we've learned from the alumni association is that we've placed a lot of boys in independent schools, in Episcopal schools, but not all of them end up staying. Transportation, tuition end up being barriers to having them actually finish out at those schools. And so we start to realize that like, it, we can prepare them, we can get them in the door, but over the life of their time in these other schools, they're gonna need, continue, their families are gonna continue to need support. Um, even if it's just identifying resources that can help them stay. Um, so, but, but yeah, about 90% go to independent schools. And if you check out, we have some materials out there that, lay, that name the schools where our boys go. All right. I think that brings us to the end of the Thank you.